friends. Welcome to the very first Cares Vet Med podcast episode. I'm Tracy Mahoney, and in this episode, we are going to review oxygenation in the induction phase of anesthesia. Let's get started. First and foremost, oxygen is vital for organ function. Decreases in oxygen delivery to organs may lead to irreversible cell damage. Now, one very common adverse effect that we see during the induction phase of general anesthesia is apnea or when a patient stops breathing. This occurs secondary to administration of our induction agents, which are intended to sedate our patients so that we may safely intubate them. Because these agents depress a patient's mentation, there is further delay in their response to hypoxemia. While these effects are generally transient, meaning that they're likely to resolve after a short period of time, add to that any comorbidities that also impact normal respiratory function, such as brachycephalic syndrome, pulmonary diseases, etc., and you've got your hands full. To start, let's take a look at what defines low oxygen levels in our patients. The two definitions that are important to differentiate are hypoxemia and hypoxia. Hypoxemia refers to decreased oxygen within the blood, while hypoxia refers to decreased oxygen within the tissue. Two ways that we can measure oxygen levels in our patients is by pulse oximetry, or SpO2, and the partial pressure of oxygen, or PaO2. Pulse oximetry, or SpO2, measures oxygen saturation, or the percentage of oxygen bound to hemoglobin. Oxygen diffuses from plasma within arterial blood into the red blood cells and binds to hemoglobin. When all of the hemoglobin is bound to oxygen, our pulse oximetry is 100%. Hypoxemia refers to pulse oximetry less than 95%, and life-threatening hypoxemia refers to pulse oximetry less than 90%. Now, this data is collected from human studies, but it's very close to values for dogs and cats. Arterial plasma oxygen content is measured as millimeters of mercury, and the higher the value, the greater the amount of oxygen present in the plasma. Normal arterial oxygen levels range from 80 to 110 millimeters of mercury while breathing room air at sea level. Hypoxemia refers to arterial oxygen less than 80 millimeters of mercury. Now, because PaO2 provides an amount of oxygen and not a percentage like the pulse ox value, it can also identify when there is excess oxygen referred to as hyperoxemia, which is any PaO2 value greater than 110 millimeters of mercury. Since oxygen is the most common carrier for our inhalant anesthetic agents during anesthesia, the arterial oxygen content increases five times because our patients go from breathing room air, which is 21% oxygen, to 100% oxygen. Now, the, the intake oxygen percentage is referred to as the fracture of inspired oxygen, or FiO2. Since the FiO2 increases to 100%, we often will see a PaO2 in our patients increase to 500 millimeters of mercury or higher. However, even with a PaO2 of 500 millimeters of mercury, the pulse oximetry remains at 100%. 
Now let's talk about cyanosis. Cyanosis is a term used to describe the point where the amount of deoxygenated hemoglobin decreases and causing the mucous membranes to turn a grayish to bluish discoloration. Studies have shown that cyanosis occurs once five grams per deciliter of hemoglobin becomes deoxygenated. So if we take a patient with a PCV of about 45%, that equals roughly a hemoglobin level of 15 grams per deciliter. If it takes until five of those 15 grams per deciliter of hemoglobin to become deoxygenated, that's roughly a third of the hemoglobin that needs to become desaturated before cyanosis is observed. That would mean that only two thirds of the hemoglobin are bound to oxygen, which would equal a pulse oximetry of 67%, well below the life-threatening hypoxemia value of 90%. In this specific example, the PaO2 would equal 37 millimeters of mercury. Yikes. Um, additionally, cyanosis in anemic patients, say with a starting hemoglobin of 10 grams per deciliter, will not appear until their pulse oximetry reaches 50%. Um, so cyanosis leads to hypoxia or tissue ischemia, such that organs like the heart, the brain, the lungs, liver, kidneys, etc., are not receiving adequate oxygen. Okay, so how many of us out there have ever used cyanosis as an indicator for when to provide oxygen supplementation? More importantly, how many of us have noted our patients to turn cyanotic during the intubation phase of general anesthesia? The truth is, it happens more frequently than it should. So this is my challenge to anyone listening to this episode. Can you intubate your patients before they become cyanotic? how can we prevent cyanosis from happening during induction? Well, we can't really increase hemoglobin binding because normal is essentially 100%, but we can increase our PaO2 levels. So we essentially create an oxygen reserve for our patients. Remember, the PaO2 refers to available oxygen within the plasma in the arterial blood. So if we pre-oxygenate our patients, we can increase their FiO2 and subsequently increase their PaO2. Now, how effective are these pre-oxygenation methods that we have in veterinary medicine? Uh, one option is flow by oxygen, where we have the oxygen coming out of the end of a hose that's connected to an oxygen source. Now, providing flow by oxygen, studies have shown to result in an increase of FiO2 from 21% to 25 to 40%. And that's using flow rates of anywhere between 0.5 to 5 liters per minute. So this would about double our patient's FiO2. Now, if we use a face mask, that's actually been shown to increase our FiO2 to 35 to 60%, so much more effective than flow by. Um, and that's using flow rates of two to eight liters per minute. So that would about double or triple our patient's FiO2. We also have oxygen cages, um, which can increase the FiO2 generally from 25 to 50%, um, although these flow rates can be as high as 15 liters per minute, which is going to use up quite a bit of oxygen supply. There are other options that include nasal and tracheal insufflation, but they're less commonly used as pre-oxygenation techniques unless the patients already have, say, for example, a nasal catheter in place. 
Um, these techniques do have risks, however, associated with lesions that occur on the nasal mucosa, especially from higher oxygen ejection uh, due to minimally fenestrated nasal catheters, such as a red rubber, um, that usually start with just two fenestrations at the end. So the rule of thumb, if you're going to have a nasal catheter in place, is the more fenestrations within the catheter, the less risk there are of the lesions. Also, humidifying the oxygen source with a bubbler before administering it will help to keep the um, air within the nasal cavity moist, and using lower oxygen flow rates will also reduce the risk of those lesions. All right, let's take a look at the data to get some additional insights on our pre-oxygen techniques. The first study I want to talk about is one um, that was published in the American Journal of Veterinary Research in November of 2009. Um, and this study said the comparison of time to desaturation between pre-oxygenated and non-pre-oxygenated dogs following sedation with ACE, promazine, malate, and morphine and induction of anesthesia with propofol. So that was their objective. And what they did to um, execute this study is they had patients uh, were sedated with ACE, promazine, and morphine, and they were given three minutes of either breathing room air or pre-oxygen via a face mask, and they used the um, oxygen flow rate at a rate of 100 mils per kg per minute. Um, then the patients were giving um, six mix per kg of propofol, so a really high dose that was likely going to induce apnea. Um, they gave it over a seven-second period. They intubated their patients, and then they had their pulse oximetry on, and they did not have them on additional oxygen uh, supplementation or ventilation. Um, and in this study, the desaturation point was a pulse oximetry of 90%. Um, and at that point is when they connected them to the anesthesia circuit and provided ventilatory support until their pulse oximetry reached greater than 97%. So what were these results? Well, the means time to desaturation differed significantly between the dogs treated with room air and oxygen. The room air patients, it took them about 70 seconds to reach their desaturation point of 90% for their pulse ox. However, the pre-oxygen group, it took them about 300 seconds, um, which is about five minutes. So we went from just a little over a minute to about five minutes um, before they reached their desaturation point. So the conclusion is that pre-oxygenating our patients for three minutes increased the time to desaturation in healthy dogs from 70 seconds to about five minutes, um, which is pretty significant. Also taking into consideration that propofol's onset of action is about 45 seconds to 60 seconds. So if you're slowly titrating your propofol um, and you have to wait for your patient for about a minute before you can get them to um, an appropriate sedated depth, you're already at your point where they're desaturated. And that's why, you know, after we administer propofol to our patients, if they're not pre-oxygenated, we got to get them intubated fast. We have no wiggle room because the minute has already gone by. And this study says that, you know, without additional pre-oxygen support, um, that's when their pulse ox is at 90%. Um, so giving us a five minute wiggle room is pretty significant, especially if we're training someone or if it's a potentially difficult intubation, um, you know, you've got yourself about a four minute wiggle room, um, which is pretty significant. So 
something to consider and take home um, from this episode. Now, the second study I wanted to talk about was published in 2018. Um, it looked at the techniques for writing pre-oxygenation. So it looked at either flow-by versus face mask. Um, so this study was published in the Journal of Veterinary Anesthesia and Analgesia. Uh, they administered oxygen, again, at 100 mils per kg per minute via both methods. Um, and they actually measured their FiO2 by placing a transtracheal catheter and sampling the volume of air that was within the trachea. And this study revealed that the FiO2 values for face mask actually went up to almost 90%. So a lot higher than what previous studies had um, suggested. Um, and then for the flow by, it was only about 30%. So not really as high as what was previously indicated. And, you know, 30% is a lot closer to, to 21%, which is Romare. So the desaturation point was determined uh, in this study when the pulse oximetry reading dropped to about 90%. And so the time to desaturation for these two groups, for the face mask group, um, this one took an average of about 190 seconds, so a little more than three minutes, versus an average of about 66 seconds via the flow-by technique. So this study actually suggests that the flow-by technique really doesn't improve um, your uh, or prolong your time to desaturation. So, um, you know, the key takeaways to both these studies is the importance of providing three minutes of pre-oxygenation and, and that it can give you about three to five minutes uh, before reaching a desaturation point of 90%. Um, you know, that 90% desaturation does not mean cyanosis. You know, these studies did not make these patients become that hypoxemic. The other takeaway is that mask pre-oxygenation is far superior than flow-by. Um, so when you have patients that come into your hospital, um, you know, needing oxygen supplementation, make sure to grab a mask. Um, you're going to uh, help them further with providing a higher FiO2 if they're really struggling and need that increased oxygen support. Um, and, uh, you know, so the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, we don't want to overstress our patients by forcing them to have the pre-oxygenation. Um, if they're going to get stressed, um, you know, stress is going to increase their oxygen supply and or oxygen demand rather. So, uh, you know, successful ways to, to provide mask oxygenation would be, um, especially if you're anxious and aggressive patients, giving them a pre-medication, you know, give them something to relax them a little bit, calm them down. And then you have your time to, you know, obtain your preoperative vitals, get a blood pressure, get your ECG, provide them oxygen, you know, do your stop checkpoint where you're confirming your drug doses before you start confirming the procedure. What leg are we shaving? If it's an orthopedic case, you know, things like that. Um, and while you're doing that, someone's giving them oxygen. So it's a nice checkpoint and it's a nice pause to sort of reset yourself and, and get your mindset into taking care of your patient you're about to intubate. Um, so yeah, that's the episode challenge for you is, uh, can you intubate your patients before they turn blue? Tell us how it goes. Uh, you can email caresvetmed at gmail.com. And uh, now we're going to get to the CARES action part of our episode. Um, so the CARES action for this episode is to say thank you. So I encourage us all to say thank you to those around us. Say thank you to a family member, to a friend, and more importantly, to a coworker. I even encourage you to say thank you to someone to, at work that you've never said thank you to before. You know, a simple thank you can turn one's day around. I'd love to hear how it goes. And I also want to know if there are other CARES actions that you would like to see on this show. All right. And that's a wrap. 
Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. I hope there was information discussed that will be helpful for you in your day today. If you have any feedback or suggestions on this or future episodes, including joining me to talk about anything anesthesia or veterinary medicine related, or hey, even life lesson related, really anything that you're passionate about, I'd love to hear from you. You can email caresvetmed at gmail.com or connect with at caresvetmed on Facebook, X, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. This podcast is available through Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, YouTube, and on caresvetmed.com. Please leave a rating or review on this or any of the episodes to help encourage new friends to give us a listen. It would be greatly appreciated. And lastly, I encourage us all to take a moment out of our day to take pause. And remember why we chose this profession. The days may be long, the cases may be challenging, but watching a pet reunite with their family makes it all worth it. Take care, friends. Bye.